They don't come here to attack us because we're rich and we're free. They come and they, and they attack us because we're over there. We don't need to go populist left or populist right. We don't need to embrace neo-Marxism or neo-fascism, these disastrous movements from the 20th century. Turns out the answer is pretty much our Bill of Rights, our story. Embrace freedom. That's the answer. And if the LP has a purpose, it's not to put people to sleep. It's to wake them up. We're here because we love liberty. And we're here because we hate injustice. We are here to save mankind. We are here to fight. Join us, the Libertarian Party, in perhaps the most exciting, grandest endeavor in history, the restoration of American liberty. Ideas spread, they can't stop them. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of Decentralized Revolution, a podcast from the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus and Mises PAC. I'm Aaron Harris and I'm your host, I really enjoyed uh, talking to Glenn Jacobs, my guest uh, today. He's, of course, the pro wrestling superstar from about 15, 20 years ago, who has turned out to be a pretty successful mayor of a pretty large metro area. He's not the mayor of the city of Knoxville, Tennessee, but he's the mayor of Knox County, which you know surrounds Knoxville, and he has some jurisdiction in the city, too. The city has its own mayor and their way of doing certain things, which is uh, one of the big reasons when uh, I decided to move to Knoxville along with my wife back in the spring. Uh, we chose to buy a house outside the city limits. Property taxes are much, much cheaper outside the city. And uh, one reason is that Glenn Jacobs and his predecessors here in the county, uh, they haven't raised taxes uh, this century. So uh, that's got to be some kind of miracle. And I figured if this area... Uh, was able to elect a mayor like Glenn Jacobs. It must have other stuff going for it, and uh, we've definitely found that to be the case. It is a heavily Republican area, uh, still lots of Trump signs and bumper stickers around here, which, of course, I think is one reason that Jacobs is a Republican. Uh, you just wouldn't get very far uh, in this part of the country uh, without being on that team. And the other is that the state of Tennessee has really, really horrible ballot access laws that keep us libertarians off the ballot. So, uh, you know, one of the reasons the Mises Caucus is doing what we're doing is so that we can build a party that can attract, you know, these small L libertarians like Glenn Jacobs and Thomas Massey, and really, you know, everybody from the liberty movement, from, you know, those who are perceived as being right libertarians, left libertarians, uh, we want all of those people of, of, of goodwill and who, you know, adhere to the non-aggression principle, you know, we want them uh, to be in the libertarian party. So we're not supporting Glenn Jacobs or any other Republican or Democrat with campaign contributions. We're not knocking on doors for him as a caucus. Um you know, so I want to make that clear, but I think we certainly can benefit from what he has to say and hopefully work with people like him on issues that promote liberty. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, this uh, a county like this one would be a prime uh, spot for some uh, Second Amendment sanctuary legislation or other federal nullification type efforts. So I'm, I, I'm going to see what we can get going down here. 
The only drawback to this episode is that there's no video. Uh, his people only gave me 30 minutes on the phone, uh, which is uh, more than enough to, to get uh, a good conversation with him. I'm grateful for that. And uh, hopefully we'll have him on again sometime in the future. So enough out of me. I hope you enjoy my talk with Glenn Jacobs. Welcome to Decentralized Revolution. Hey, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, Glenn Jacobs, most people know you from your uh, wrestling career. I don't have a lot of time to talk to you today, so we're going to let other people go to other places to, to learn about uh, uh, all that. I'm sure you're tired of getting some of those questions. Um, I you know, I just uh, was talking to you. I just moved here to Knox County, and I was driving down Cedar Lane the other day, and I was informed by a, a, a rather helpful sign that the wrestler mayor is a moron. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I actually tweeted that. Uh, I took a picture in front of that sign and uh, tweeted out that even though you hurt my feelings, I will still defend your right to free speech because I think the First Amendment is really important. So uh, I, I had a friend, the person that told me that sign was there, and they thought it was hilarious. You know, the wrestling mayor's a moron. I was like, well, you know, it's not that funny, but... <laughs> But people should be free to express their opinions, even if they do hurt my feelings a little bit. Yeah, and with uh, especially with local politics, you're gonna n no matter who you are, somebody's not gonna like you. Um, and yeah. so, so let, let's let's uh, first talk about how uh, you're really into Mises and Austrian economics, and and here with the Mises Caucus, that's what we're about, and uh, along with political decentralization. Tell us about you and you getting engaged with those ideas. Yeah, back in the late 1990s, I was politically homeless. I didn't know if I was a conservative or a liberal because I was a fiscal conservative, but I didn't care what people did in their personal lives so long as they weren't hurting other people. Um, you know, I was like, stay out of my, stay out of my bank account and stay out of my bedroom and we're cool. Of course, at that time, uh, the, the Republican party, uh, the conservatives, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on, on social conservatism. And I will say that in my own life, I am a person with pretty socially conservative values, but again, I don't think that's something that the government should be enforcing. I think that it's okay for me to talk about those and okay for me to promote that, um, you know, in my own personal life or whatever. Uh, but as far as me being the mayor and saying, hey, you can't do this because it violates what I think you should be doing. Well, if you're not hurting anybody else, I, I don't have that or shouldn't have that authority. So I was politically homeless and I would read things from from, quote unquote, both sides of mm -hmm. the uh, political argument from the Republicans and the Democrats the Republicans, I'm sorry, the conservatives and the liberals. And then one day a friend of mine told me that I sounded like a libertarian. I had never heard that term before. And I told him that we were going to fight if he insulted me again like that, because I didn't know what it meant. And of course, he's like, no, 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 no. And then he kind of explained that we only think left, right. And there's a, another dimension to the political spectrum. And that's authoritarianism versus individual liberty. And I actually, I was through the LP. I went to LP.org. And that was my first kind of introduction to libertarian thought. But at that time, I was what I would call an ad hoc libertarian. It's like I agreed with the LP on certain issues. A lot, most of the issues I agreed with the LP on. Um, so like, well, I must be a libertarian. But I didn't realize that it was actually philosophy. And then I started getting more into that 
and the more I read, um, you know, the more that I realized that it wasn't just, um, you know, a, about a political party. It was about a political and a legal philosophy. And then uh, along the way, I, I've never studied economics, thank goodness. Hmm. I never took an economics course in college because I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not a huge math person. My sister's a mathematician in the family. She, her degree's in mathematics, um, but, and she's an engineer. But I just I was I was intimidated by the idea of these formulas and all these various things. What I thought econ- economics is, which of course is not economics, that's econometrics. I didn't know that at the time. So I, I start hearing this term Austrian economics from various writers that I had a lot of respect for. Uh, in fact, it's interesting because I read Murray Rothbard's political philosophical books. Uh, his books about you know, legal theory of libertarianism before I actually read uh, his books on economics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea what Austrian economics was. I was a little intimidated because I'd never, again, it's economics. Ron Paul's talking about Austrian economics. I'm like, well, if Ron Paul's talking about Austrian economics, I guess I better at least try to kind of figure out what this stuff is. So I ordered what has government done to our money, which is a short, very short book by Rothbard. And uh, there's only one formula in that book that I can recall. And it's the multiplier effect of when a, a dollar goes into reserve banking, the uh, inflationary impact that, that can have on the money supply. Mm-hmm. That was it. Everything else was just about inflation as far as that inflation, you know, the, the, the real definition of inflation, which is the expansion of the money supply. Um, and when I got done with the book, I was like, there's only one formula and it was pretty simple. And, and it was really just tangential to the rest of what Rothbard was saying. It's like, oh, economics isn't about numbers. Mm-hmm. It's about people. And a light bulb went off in my head at that point. And I actually became, uh, for a while, I don't, I don't read as much as I used to, but I was a very serious student of Austrian economics. I went through the Mises at Home course. Um, I've read Human Action. I've read Man, Economy, and State, uh, you know, and, and kind of the tomes of Austrian economics uh, and just fell in love with that. Now I actually believe that in order to understand libertarian philosophy, you have to understand Austrian economics because it begins with economics. What freedom really is, is our ability to use our time, to economize our time, which is a scarce resource, as we would want to do. And that's where kind of the whole thing starts for me. So um, despite the fact that I never, ever studied economics before and was intimidated, I have a very deep love for Austrian economics now. Yeah, it all starts with the action axiom and kind of flows from there. And I think that, you know, I used to be a newspaper reporter and I covered local government and and then also just from a uh, uh, an observer of politics, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, scarcity and, and deciding what to do with our time and things like that. That I would imagine if if your experience is like mine, that in politics, you have a lot of people who don't really seem to uh, think that that's a big deal. They don't seem to get scarcity. They don't seem to get that things are, are a trade-off. Have you, have you found that to be true? Absolutely. And that's especially true among people on the left. They, they do not understand economics. Um, and they believe that somehow, you know, that just, well, first of all, that wealth is preexisting. 
that wealth is a natural feature of the world. It's a natural resource, you know, and really, if you, if you go and look at it from, again, from an Austrian economic standpoint, there really aren't natural resources. I mean, there are things in nature, but it's up to human beings to determine how to utilize them to benefit us. Uh, but wealth does not pre-exist in the world. It's, it's hum creation of human beings. Um, so when we, they talk about redistribute, redistributing wealth, you know, that, that's, that's a misnomer because it, it's, it's not out there to be redistributed. It's at people create it and then they should be able to keep it because they're the ones that create it. Of course, really the only way you can create wealth is by interacting with other people and by uh, producing something that other folks want. Uh, but nevertheless, it's not something that just kind of is part of our world. It's something that has come about through human endeavor and human effort. And also a lot of folks on the left and unfortunately people in the middle too, you know, they think government just has this gigantic sea of money that it can just turn on a spigot. And it's almost like when you hear folks like, why doesn't the government do this or do that? And, you know, they have the money to do it. It's like, no, they don't. The money comes from us somehow, whether it's through taxation, through borrowing, or through debasing the currency by inflating the money supply. Uh, in some way, you know, the, the government is taking the money out of the private sector in order to do those things. Um, but that's all a matter of scarcity. You know, they think that the government creates that the gov that the wealth is there for the government to redistribute, um, and they also believe that the government just has its own source of nearly infinite wealth, which we're finding out uh, it almost does now because it's got $30 trillion in debt. So, I mean, it's got a sea of debt, but it doesn't have infinite wealth. So when you talk about these ideas and, and you know, when a big spending proposal comes along and you bring this stuff up and you give other, uh, you know, libertarian um, sort of, uh, uh, critiques of that and saying why, Hey, why we shouldn't do it. How, what kind of response do you get and how have you, have you found it? Um, have you been able to kind of convince some of your, um, uh, fellow, uh, leaders here in Knox County, uh, that to, to kind of consider your, um, viewpoint a little more, or is it like talking to a brick wall? <laughs> well, the, in Knox County, we are a, a fiscal conservative community uh, anyway, um, mm -hmm. and folks understand, especially here at this level, you know, we, we, can't, we can't print money. Uh, so the only way that we can get money is by taxing people or um, through, through debt, and, you know, folks understand that. And eventually, of course, with the debt, we have to pay that back through taxation. Um, so I'm very fortunate to live in a part of the country where people naturally get that. And, you know, the arguments about government living um, beyond its means resonate uh, very strongly with the folks here. Um, so, you know, I, I would have never been able to, to be mayor in some other parts of the country because, you know, um, I, I don't, the folks here don't necessarily think about it in terms of Austrian economics, mm -hmm. but they do think about it in terms of common sense. People in other parts of the country, the very liberal parts of the country, they don't think about it in terms of common sense. They just think that government should be able to do this because it can. 
Um, so I'm, I'm in a good situation. I think the people here in Knox County are in a good situation as far as, you know, fiscal matters go. Yeah. The other people, they kind of have that unconstrained vision. Uh, uh, they think that you can, by snapping a finger or passing a law that you can change, you know, reality basically. And I, and I've seen a lot of that in, uh, you know, the whole COVID stuff, uh, the whole idea that most people, politicians don't seem to know or care, that there are trade-offs and, you know, moving down here from Ohio, which was pretty restrictive. Uh, we have a Republican governor, but, and I don't expect you to make a, any comments on anybody I mentioned, but uh, he's a Republican governor, but he's very big government, liberal gun grabber, you know, um, and, you know, was a very, um, uh, co- the COVID stuff was uh, pretty draconian there. Um, and they, you know, the, the regard to what it's doing to, to businesses, to people's mental health, not even there. So what, uh, and I immediately, as we came down here in April, noticed that things were a lot uh, uh, freer uh, down here in, in Knox County. What's it like, been, what's it been like being mayor during COVID and specifically dealing with the other um, levels of government, you know, like the city of Knoxville, the state, the federal government, that this must have been a, a pretty, and while it still is, uh, it's it's got to be pretty complex. What's that been like? It's been hugely challenging because it's there, the, the, the speed with which all of this took place last year was unbelievable. I compared it the other day to having a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just getting hit repeatedly from a number of different directions, and you can't even see the punches coming because they were so fast um, initially. And it, it's it's been very challenging. It's been challenging for everybody, um, but uh, especially for those of us, you know, uh, that are elected officials, um, you know, that have the philosophy that. You know, freedom is paramount. Individual liberty is paramount. The government's real job is to protect individual liberty. You know, that's what Thomas Jefferson said. This, that's what this country's founded on. Uh, and to see that really take a backseat to, um, you know, to, well, we have to protect everybody's health. And then also the fact that even, you know, even though America is a republic, you know, we're still a democratic republic. And I was kind of shocked to see um my friends on the other side of the aisle who are always talking about democracy and suddenly we're living in a technocracy mm-hmm. and i couldn't do anything about a lot of the stuff that was going on because it was just out of my hands uh you know i, I tried to use my bully pulpit as much as i could um but you know I was just getting drowned out. I felt like I literally felt like I was standing in front of an avalanche and I never got swept away by the avalanche, but it just engulfed me by going all around mm-hmm. me and just, and just taking me with it. Um, so it, and it was very difficult, you know, and um, against like, if we start with, with the federal government and the CDC and um, statutorily, and according to their medical license, you know, all all the doctors have to kind of follow what the CDC says in public health. So, you know, our public health people have to say certain things because the CDC is saying it. And after a while, it's like the CDC is contradicting themselves on a nearly daily basis. But, you know, that that's another place where the, the federal – and we don't think about it like that because we generally think that public health is a matter for state and local governments. 
but the CDC has insinuated itself through regulation and uh, and money from the feds into all levels of government. Okay, uh, then here locally we had had a board of health and the state laws all messed up, and no one realized it was all messed up until we realized that this. Board of Health had literally no limitations on their powers. Uh, no one would have ever known that or cared if it hadn't been for the pandemic. But, you know, all of a sudden they're just they can do whatever they want and could have done a whole lot more. Um, you know, when we look at the difference between the city and the county, um, like many cities across the country, the city of Knoxville is much uh, the, the government's much more left and the county's much more right. Um, you know, so we had had to coexist through that. And there were a lot of clashes because, you know, the city wants to do this, but over here in the county, we're going to do that. And then the health department's actually under the county. So the city couldn't tell the health department what to do. But then the health department's acting independently because it's got a board of health, which is kind of an independent body. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can imagine the worst of government confusion, contradiction, all the different levels and all the different bodies within government coming together in a perfect storm. That's what COVID has been. Mm -hmm. Was there recently a change in the status of the Board of Health here in Knox County? There was. uh, According to Tennessee state law, uh, um, a county can have a health department which is under the county and not under the state but it's kind of a hybrid because they, it still answers to the state not the county exclusively but it can also these counties can create a board of health uh, and the board of health did have certain powers and their their powers were to make rules and regulations to protect the public health and safety mm-hmm. and that was all the statute said there was no, they can only do it now, or they can't contradict state. The only thing they could do, actually, is they couldn't do anything less lenient than state law. They could do things more restrictive. Mm. And their health orders superseded county ordinance. So they were the most powerful political body in Knox County. They were more powerful than in my office and they were more powerful in commission um the state did change that now so they are they're an advisory uh board uh but kind of what the state did is the state shifted the power to the director of public health away from the health board uh which is still problematic because um you know there's some issues about now is is and, and we're dealing with these now uh, is the director of public health is she a county employee or is she a state employee because she kind of kind of works for both um, you know, and then there's just all the public health uh, laws as far as, uh, well, we're finding out it's not only in an emergency, but just the public health laws. Um, it kind of reminds me of what Frank Zappa said. America is a country of laws, uh, poorly written and arbitrarily enforced. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that throughout the pandemic, unfortunately. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, so one of the things that we really focus on with the Mises Caucus is you know, political decentralization, getting out uh, uh, the uh, ideas like nullification, uh, state and local nullification of federal and state laws. And uh, this, I don't know how if this might be sort of a dicey thing for you to talk about, but like, how, how do you see 
do you think that's a, a viable strategy for Liberty to uh, say, hey, you know, we're never going to convince uh, 350 million people, half of whom seem to, you know, really, really like the government. Uh, so instead of trying to do that, why don't we focus on trying to p- protect our freedom at, at the local level as much as possible and, and trying to get back to more, you know, to me, that's more of kind of what the founders had uh, in mind. Uh, what what can be done? Is it a good strategy? And what can be done to, to promote that? I think it is a good strategy. That's actually why I'm county mayor, um, because I didn't think that, uh, you know, people are like, why didn't you run for Congress or, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think that at, I don't think much can change at the federal level anymore. Uh, you know, and we have good people up there, guys like Rand Paul and Thomas Massey and others that, you know, I'm glad they're there and they have a voice, but legislatively they just get overrun. Um, so I think it is going to come down to the States and, um, the localities. If, you know, we look at the 10th amendment and constitutionally, most of the power actually resides with the state. Uh, it never was supposed to, as you said, the founders had an idea that it was, uh, decentralized. Uh, you know, the federal government's mandates were pretty simple uh, to protect the country from invasion uh, and to be um, a judge and an arbitrator between the states and between citizens of other states, you know, different states. And then that was really uh, about it. Um, and now, of course, it's switched to where the, uh, the federal government has the bulk of the power and the states have very little. Um, but nevertheless, you know, the states can't act as a bulwark. I mean, I'm such a huge fan right now of Ron DeSantis and what he's doing down in Florida and the fact that he, he is standing up, um, you know, against uh, a lot of the things that, you know, Biden and um, his people are saying. And the reason that DeSantis is being attacked so uh, enthusiastically by the Biden administration is because they realize that he's going to run against them. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's going he's to be president if they don't stop it. Um, you know, but you can see, you can see right there, there's differences. Like you said, you come to Tennessee, you're in a completely different world now than you are California or New York. Um, and that's because we've been able to hold the line, um, much more so than those places have. Um, and I wonder looking at the future, you know, here in Tennessee with no offense to you moving from Ohio, but we're seeing a lot of people coming in from other parts of the country. Um, and, you know, we always say, don't Californiaize our Tennessee, right? You know, mm-hmm. don't bring the liberal stuff that you're trying to escape with you. Um, but I kind of wonder if what's happening, uh, and I, anecdotally, my wife's a realtor, and the people that are coming here are not crazy liberals. They're mm-hmm. folks that are conservatives or, you know, libertarian-ish, and they're tired of the big government, they're tired of the high taxes, and they're moving to a place where they see folks have the same values that they do. So, I, you know, I, this is my hypothesis, but I'm wondering if the country isn't even becoming more red and more blue, uh, especially in certain areas. Um, and that may or may not be true. But I, I do think that the states and local governments, uh, you know, ultimately, they are the final bulwark. I think moving forward, uh, as the federal government has a lot of fiscal issues that, you know, people like some point they have to raise interest rates. They can't raise interest rates. Mm-hmm. If they do, the, the, um, debt service on the federal budget is going to be a trillion dollars a year plus, you yep. know, it's going to burst the budget. So they can't do that. They're going to be stuck 
they're stuck. I mean, we're stuck with quantitative easing for as long as the eye can see, which means that the inflation that we're seeing right now is, you know, it's just, um, it's what we're going to see and probably accelerating into the future. Uh, you know, I, I can see certainly see some stagflation as well uh, as, as economic dislocations um, drive unemployment. And then we also have higher rates of inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what the federal government does, it, it does through its ability currently to bribe the states, you know, to fund certain things. Um, as we see that diminish, we might see the power of the federal government somewhat diminish as well and the states be able to step up and do some things that currently they're not. Okay. I've got two more quick questions and then sure. I have a, one more uh, very, very quick question after uh, that I want to ask you after we're done recording. Um, and, and so you can, uh, uh, these don't have to be huge long answers, but what's the, what's the best way, you know, are, we have teams and just, I think, all 50 states now uh, where we're trying to find ways to, you know, to lobby local governments and run local candidates. What's the best way to get involved and to specifically to get the attention of local officials and get them to listen? Is it showing up to meetings? Is it social media? Is it something else? Uh, What can our activists do to be most effective? It's showing up to meetings and personal contact, just like it is the other way. Uh, you know, when folks realize that you're, uh, you know, you're there, they tend to pay attention to you. And also it's praising people when they do something right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to hold their feet to the fire when they do things wrong. So they do things wrong a lot, but it's also saying, Hey, that was, that was a good job, man. And, you know, I got your back. Um, all of us appreciate that as well. Uh, and I, I think a lot of libertarians, you know, need to realize that, you know, yeah, hold their feet to the fire, but also tell them good job when they've done a good job. Yeah, sometimes, uh, even though they might not have, they've done just a little bit of something right, you need to give them that positive reinforcement. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> uh, you mentioned uh, very early on in your, you know, political awakening, uh, having contacts with the LP. What's been your relationship to opinions of the LP over time? And, and what can the LP do to be more effective and more appealing to, to, to people? That's a good question. I'm a Republican, um, you know, but I, I'm certainly very sympathetic to the LP. I have friends um, in, in the LP. Um, you know, one thing is it's a political party, so it, it has some of the issues that every political party does. I mean, that's just the way, unfortunately, uh, that things are. Um, but I do think that, you know, the, the LP can, um, it can pick some issues and, concentrate on those issues uh and it they're at a huge disadvantage because of the election laws and the fact that the lp actually has to spend most of their money just getting people on the ballot mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with that i don't think that's right um you know it's not democratic uh, but it kind of is the way it is um you know so i also think that um the lp can have much more success at a local and state level than they can at a federal level um, so I'd really like to see them concentrate more on state and local races and maybe not worry so much about federal races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one, uh, I'll give you a chance to, to give some plugs to, uh, if you need, uh, I, I, are you going to run for reelection? Are you going to need people to help with that? Even though you're a Republican, there's like two or three Republicans. I wouldn't mind seeing people help and you're, and you're one of them. So uh, what, what's your status there and how can people, uh, you know, engage with you and what you're doing? 
Sure. I am running for re-election. Uh, that, that will probably kick off earnestly next year. I've announced that I'm uh, running, but the uh, primary is May of next year, and then the general election uh, is in August. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter. It's at Glenn Jacobs TN. That's Glenn with two N's, Jacobs TN. Um, on Facebook, uh, Facebook page is actually Jacobs for Mayor, and then I also have a website, which is JacobsforMayor.com, spelled out. Okay. If you don't uh, mind, I have a quick question after we say goodbye, but uh, sure. I, re- I, I really appreciate you being on, uh, being on the show. Yep. Thank you so much. There you have it. I'd like to thank Glenn Jacobs for his time and wisdom and his staff for making some time for us in his schedule. You can find out more about Glenn Jacobs over at decentralizedrevolution.com slash 61. Also, I talked to him a little bit about an idea that uh, we have that I can't tell you about right now, but uh, that we might be able to have an event with him uh, down here in Knoxville sometime with the Mises Caucus. Again, uh, not not promised at all, but uh, it, it might happen. Uh, also, thanks to Dave versus Goliath for all the music you hear on Decentralized Revolution. And thanks to everyone who subscribes to our email list and gives to Mises Pack at TakeHumanAction.com and everyone who shares, rates, reviews, and subscribes to Decentralized Revolution. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.